Hello and welcome to episode three of The Dangling Conversation, mine and my brother's podcast about Simon and Garfunkel. Um, you join us in October 1966, having left us in January 1966, so a mere uh, nine months between album releases, but a nine months that has seen the release of Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, Blonde on Blonde by Bob Dylan on the same day, May the 16th, 1966, and in early August the release of Revolver by the Beatles and the eponymous Mamas and Papas record. So an astonishing year for music. And mm. Simon and Garfunkel started recording in the December um, and finished in the March. Um, spent three months in the studio spending an estimated $30,000, which adjusted to modern times is about a quarter of a million. So a and lot that- of... And that would have been a lot more than mm. any of the previous albums. Vastly more. Um, and so this is a different kind of album insofar as uh, production, insofar as time spent, insofar as the arena into which it is released is more competitive and of a higher standard. So to help me look through the record, to talk through the record and think about the songs, is my brother James. Hello everybody. I'm Michael. Um, and we open with a song that anyone growing up in Northern England, as we both did, will be instantly familiar with. Yeah. And that song is Scarborough Fair. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. I mean, I would say I, I'm in a way haunted by this song. I've enjoyed it, listened to it from being a kid I think again is it one that Mr Matthews used to play yeah it's an assembly, assembly. assembly. Yeah, yeah it is isn't it, it is, yeah. um, and I remember it from going on the school trips from when I was I don't know eight or nine something like that maybe younger to in North Yorkshire on the way to Scarby you know Whitby and all those kind of areas Um I think I know it's a traditional song um, and we'll cover that in a minute but the actual record itself so the production of it the performance of it the interweaving of that with the counter melody canticle but i know it was this on the side of the hill it's just absolutely majestic i mean it really is i, I can't think that there's i mean it's a matter of taste of course but i can't think there's 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 been a better record made uh, honestly i think it's absolutely um Superb. Scarborough Fair was a real thing. Um, a 45-day fair held in Scarborough between merchants. There was entertainment and food stalls. Mm. And this is, you know, medieval. Um, and so the song is based on that. But as James mentioned, the Paul Simon Songbook, which is a kind of little-known 1965 Paul Simon solo album release of demos, features a song called The Side of the Hill. Yep. And Paul Simon takes a classic arrangement and alters the side of the hill and puts them together. Oh, okay. To create this record. So let's talk a little about the original part of the arrangement, yeah. which was taken by Paul Simon from a chap called Martin Carthy. Yeah, that's absolutely right. If so only one of us, if only one of us had a story about Martin Carthy to tell at this point. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right, well, I'll do that then. So. <clears throat> the, Paul Simon, as we know from the previous podcast, was in um, England. He was very involved in the folk scene in England. Now, one of the luminaries of the folk scene then and now was the great Martin Carthy. Um, he, uh, I believe, was the one who sort of... The song had always evolved, like you say, over periods of time, but he was the one that had arrived at something resembling 
the arrangement we hear, we're familiar with the Sarah and Garfunkel one. Um, and I think that there was some uh, controversy for years, actually, about the, the, the extent to which Paul Simon used that and didn't credit. Yeah, that, that went on and on. Um, yeah. Paul Simon paid a massive settlement to the publishers of Martin Carthy's work. They uh, didn't share it with Martin Carthy, so there was bad blood uh, between them until right. 2000 when Paul Simon invited Martin Carthy to join him on stage, and he did, and they buried the hatchet. Wonderful. Well, I'm really glad that they did that. So my story is, this is probably, I don't know, around 2000, 2001. I was travelling on a train, and for those that don't know, I, I, I play guitar basic standard but I play it and I had my guitar with me and there was the train was going by Birmingham or the Midlands somewhere anyway there was just, as there often is you get diverted and had to get on a different train and there was this guy who was uh, who I sat across from and we fell into a conversation because I had my guitar and he had his lovely guy older gentleman you know kind of cool looking um, you know a nice guy and we got to talking about music now bear in mind I was about 20 21 and absolutely full of myself, as we all are at that age, aren't we? I, I really was. And um, the uh, so I got chatting with him, we talking about music, and I asked him, "What sort of music do you do?" And he says, "Oh, folk music." So I kind of scrambled around in my brain to get some reference point for that, and it, the reference point I came up with was Simon and Garfunkel, specifically Scarborough Fair. Actually, as I say it's meant a lot to me in my whole life. For some, anyway. This, by the way, this predates Google. Wikipedia and, and everything else. I, I have to put that disclaimer. So we're having a conversation. We then spent probably about three hours, maybe more, uh, together on on the train talking about uh, talking about music. I was um, sort of asking him where he was playing. He was playing his you know sort of out of the way areas. You know, he seems to be playing. He's playing like Newport and then you know Portsmouth. You know, like really kind of random places. I was expecting. You know, uh, in my mind, everybody's successful saying I'm playing in Manchester, I'm playing in Liverpool. Anyway, so long story short, so we're talking and I'm telling him all about my, you know, songwriting and, and my um, ambition for, for, for music and one thing and another, and concerts, in fact, that I that I played and <laughs> the rest of it. We had a comment, he was a lovely guy, really, really pleasant, very, very low-key, very nice, very gentleman. So, we get off the train, and we part ways, very pleasant. I've told him all about myself, my abilities, my, my music and future music career. A week later, or thereabouts, kid was it, about a week later, I was walking into work, I worked in Oxford, and I'd gone from the train station into where I worked. And I had to, I had to walk past the theatre, the theatre in Oxford, name of which escapes me, but it's, it's there next to what was the Debenhams on the corner of Magdalen Street. And um, I, I, my eye was caught by this absolutely enormous poster Featuring Martin Carthy, MBE, a celebration, I think, was it for his 50th or 60th birthday? Fairport Convention were playing, all sorts of like, you know, and, and, and I, I, I thought, hang on a minute, that's, and sure enough, the man from the train. That's the man from the train. And part of the joy of this story <laughs> is in the immediate aftermath of seeing that poster, James said to me, Oh God, he said, I thought this guy was an older chap with a guitar striving, so I bought him a coffee on the train. <laughs> So, Martin Carthy features in Simon and Garfunkel's story as someone from whom Paul Simon ripped an arrangement, and in our personal story, someone for whom James bought a cup of coffee. Oh, so, make of that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but he was right, but I have to say I've subsequently I've listened to a lot of his work his and his daughters I, he's, he's absolutely he's, he's fabulous and he was I have to say an absolute pleasure to spend time and it's with it's a terrific story yeah so, um, but let's get back on track sure so, okay. Scarborough Fair Canticle yeah, I mean, it's, as I said, it's wonderful. I, I, I like the um, the way it interweaves the two parts because that sometimes can be, um, you, you can attempt that, but it can take away from both elements, if you know what I mean. Mm. With this, it's the opposite. It adds to it. Um, I know I think, I know it's taken from the side of a hill, but I always, um, the, on the, the arrangement or the writing credits, it's the, one of the very few, if not the only one, that Art Garfunkel is actually credited on. And I believe I'm right in saying he wrote that counter melody. Yeah. It goes and you listen to Side of the Hill, I don't think it's that, it's not. No, and that's what, so Side of the Hill it was taken from. Yeah. So Side of the Hill was a piece of Paul Simon Solo. Yeah. I think Art then took yeah. to be the basis Got you. for his part on. Fine. Hence right. Art Garfunkel in latter years at concerts singing yeah. Side of the Hill. Absolutely, yeah. As a reference point for it, which kind of brings it. Back in time. You know, it does, yeah, you're right. And we've both seen him do that. And yeah. what an Wonderful. Absolute, oh, my God, what a joy. What a joy. So, um, but we, we can come to that later, can't we? So, yeah, I, I think, and you've got the, the voices harmonised. Now, I think what you've got is the two voices possibly double-tracked um, on, on both parts. So, in essence, four voices, maybe eight voices altogether. I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. But I think that's what it is. So you get the benefit of the harmony both ways round. And there's a natural drama to the music, um, so it'll drop down. To, it's a particular lyric, um, and a fight for a cause they'd long ago forgotten, and that always drops down when it goes back to the minor for the Are you going to? And back to that, so the ebbs and flows. It's absolutely incredible, incredible. And, and, and you have the harpsichord comes in at a certain point, you've got these different instrumentation. I mean, it's not even if I don't even want to deconstruct it too much because it's the overall effect. Mm. And the overall effect is something that is just haunting. I mean, it is, it's absolutely haunting. You put it on any time, anywhere, it seems to exist. I know when it was recorded, but it, you almost feel like you could be listening to something from the 1500s, you feel like you could be listening to something from a Thomas Hardy novel. You it could, do you know what I mean? It's, it's out of time. It is out of time, yes, out of time, REM. It is out of time, yeah. yeah. What's your thoughts on it? I love it. It's an incredible record. Um, yeah. A gentle commentary, I think, can be seen in it in Vietnam and America's foreign mm. policy. There's mm. a small amount of that in there. And also, right. it's interesting with the herbs, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, which feel like a useful flow of herbs. Each, in mm. medieval times, have their own meaning. Oh, right. um, and there's uh, forgiveness and sorrow and courage. And so it can be. Oh, really? It can be. It can be whether it's accurate or not, whether it's meant, but it can be interpreted as a flow of meaning just in the names of the herbs. Right. So it's got layer upon layer, and I think when you say not wanting to deconstruct it too far, I think that's because you can kind of infinitely pare it down. Yeah. And each individual moment is fascinating and wonderful, but none can do justice to the overall. Yeah, no, it is. Well, it's a great point, but that's fascinating. I didn't know that. I mean, there's lots of versions that you hear of them. Doing all these they play at every at the concert at Central Park, the Old Friends tour. There's live versions from '69, probably '67, which are wonderful, but they don't interweave with the second part. That is a record, mm. and this obviously opens this. And as I say, in in the year, well, as you said, sorry, in the year of blonde on blonde, revolver. I mean, come on, yeah. revolver. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, there's a picture of which is on the wall. The podcast is on tour, by the way. We've moved from our usual pod- podcast habitat. Yeah, we're no longer in the shed. We're not in the shed. We've now moved to the, uh, well, I was going to say... Slaven Towers. Yeah, Slaven Towers. The top floor of Slaven Towers. Towers. Yeah, the upper. So upper if the sound floor. is different and softer, that's due to the shag pile carpet as opposed to bare wood of the shed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's lots of velvet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not surprised by no, that. No, of course, no, 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 absolutely. Luxurious fabrics, but of course, <laughs> my reputation. <laughs> so yeah, um, but as I said, lots of versions. But the, the actual record itself, in and amongst, you could argue, 1966, the greatest year ever for popular music. Mm. Certainly one of, um, and I think it's as good as anything anybody. I think it's as good as anything on Pet Sounds, and I think it's as good as anything on Revolver. And believe me. I cannot offer higher praise than that. And uh, for me, the, the final point we'll make before we move on yeah. is there is a, an element of classical music in it that there's so much overlaid that it can be hard to pick apart. Yeah. And things drop and lift and fall mm. and gather and catch mm. in a way that um, grasps your emotions uh, really effectively um, and with real precision. Um, and yeah, it's no, wonderful. No, completely. I mean, that's you, you're right because when I listen to that. As a, as a child in school, I had no context, I didn't know what it was. It's just, just Master used to play it sometimes as we walked into the into the assembly, I, you know, on a vinyl. I had no idea what or who it was. I listened to it high as a kite, you know, um, in various sort of times of periods. I mean, in all conditions, and here I am now saying it, you know, um, and I think I feel exactly the same way about it. I mean, it's absolutely magical. It must be. I remember our. Garfunkel talking about it in concert and concert we seen he makes reference to it and he sort of says it's just over that recording session just over my shoulder mm-hmm. he says I know it's 50 years ago it's just over my shoulder you know? what an incredible thing to have created that and I have that I mean it must be a an unimaginable um, satisfaction and pleasure to to have cre- put that out into the world mm-hmm. we're saying this but how many tens of millions of people Feel, feel the same way or with their own twist on it you know? absolutely so, so that is the song that opens the record mm. um, you can hear the other 11 tracks wincing slightly uh, <laughs> good grief so that's what we've got to live up to um, but it's followed by something very different um, and a really interesting uh, it, lyrically very Paul Simon kind of song called yeah. Patterns yeah um, wonderful production on this yeah yeah particularly the percussion yeah. Um, some really striking imagery, um, yeah, like a rat that's in a maze. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's a sort of a it's, it's it's a songwriter's kind of song in the sense of it's in a room, and you're meditating on you know your state of mind. Extremely and introspective. Extremely. Very. Even yeah. by Paul Simon. Yeah, it is. Extremely yeah. introspective. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's not the most. Yeah. And disaffected. Some mm. trapped feeling that their life is beyond their control. They're running on rails. They're trapped in a maze. There's nothing they can do, <clears throat> and it's mm. it's well, dark patterns, in that it's like, it's like things are pre presupposed, pre preordained. Pre so I'm running on rails. Right. I can't divert. Yeah. I can't change. Yeah. I'm going this way, mm. um, and feeling trapped as an outcome with a kind of deep, heavyish production around it. Yeah. It's nice. It's a good record. No, it is. I I, I agree with you. You're right. It, the, the percussion, as you say, is, is, is good because it sort of pairs it back when it's quite high in the mix. You know, that sort of rattling, mm. you know, sort of, yeah, it's a certain, there's an uncertainty mm. to it, which is perfect for, for what it's saying lyrically. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a really good song. Um, I, I, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know quite where I. It's not. Wouldn't go straight on one of my playlists. It's. It's not. It, it's. It. It works due to juxtaposition. Yeah. You come off the back of Scarborough Fair, which, if you imagine hearing the album for the first time, is this is this feast of a song with yeah. multiple layers and multiple yeah. parts, and you come out into a linear lyric, mm. um, which suits actually the sensation of being trapped. The mm. lyric moves forward and direct with totally different orchestration and production. So yeah. as an album track against Scarborough Fair, it works brilliantly. Yeah. Taken aside from that, it's a good record, but not one, as you say, that you immediately reach for on a playlist. No, no, that, that's true. Although, as, as you rightly say, in the context of the album, it, it works great. It's a very good song. Yeah. It's, I, I like the, the fact that the production actually is very stripped back. When the harmonies come in and when the little bit of instrumentation comes in, it's very powerful, it's quite dramatic. I like the drama of it as well. Yeah, yeah. Me too. And that's followed by track three, Cloudy, which rarely has a co-writing credit on it. Yeah. A chap yeah. called Bruce Woodley. Okay. About whom I know very little. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, like we always say, if you listen to this, presumably you've got your Spotify up and also the internet, so you can you can delve in and Wikipedia things. We're not trying to be, you know, Wikipedia. There's points at which with that we're aware of things but we'd leave you to discover it for yourselves really yeah, otherwise yeah, we're, just, we're just reading the list yeah it is it's a very California sound it, it sounds like the mamas and papas it sounds like that west coast um, I mean it references the, the, down from the, down from Berkeley to Carmel I forget the line before but you know it's a beautiful place where Clint Eastwood was mayor fantastic so what happens is that um, it, it, it's, it's beautifully performed, it's beautifully sung, it's got that summery kind of feel. It's much lighter, I would say, than the normal, of this period, Paul Simon song. You know. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a nice record for all the reasons you say. It, it pales against both Patterns and Scarborough Fair, yeah. both of which I prefer, both of which I think have much deeper character. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the I, songs that come on the other side also have that. So for me, it's a track in the context of the album that I'm comfortable with, but not really much more than that. Okay. I, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I differ slightly in so much as I, I always think of this one as a hidden gem. Okay. So it's a sort of song for whatever reason, people, you've got to be real quiet. It's like a deep cut, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to the extent they have deep cuts. Yeah, of course. Um, but it's. Yeah, it's, it's like that, and I, I don't, you know, it took me a while to come across it. You know, the best ofs and stuff that I got into the, the band through, uh, it wasn't on. Mm. Um, and uh, as I said, I, I would I put it off and I put it on playlist. Just so I like the, the lightness to it that appeals to me, you know, but that's a, a personal tasting. So, yeah, okay. So, followed by track four, which is track four on the US version. As we mentioned last time out, we worked to the US track listings. Yeah. Um, this is actually a record that was on the Sounds of Silence in the UK release, but appears to the American audience as track four on Parsley Sedra's Marion Time, and that's Homeward Bound. Yeah. So it's a song so familiar, so in the ether, so, so that you, you can't, it's kind of a struggle to imagine somebody actually writing it. Mm. You know, it's like a lot of Beatles songs are like that. You, can, you, you know, that, but you can't quite imagine that at some point that they didn't exist. You know, there's a lot of mythology around the writing as well. So again, this is a song about Kathy Chitty, who was mentioned last time out. Um, and yeah. depending on which report you read, Paul Simon recalled in 1990 it was written at Liverpool railway station, 
there is a plaque at Witness I was just saying, railway uh, yeah, station witness that I, marking it on, yeah. on the wall yeah. um, and that he was waiting after a gig in Liverpool he'd got as far as Witness and was waiting for the early morning milk train um, to oh, hitch a ride fantastic that's and fabulous isn't it? when asked about the song he said if you'd ever been to Witness you'd understand why I wrote it <laughs> which is a little <laughs> harsh of witness that's very a, New York a, a very good line that's a very New write. York answer yeah though. and it was it was recorded in the same late night recording session as I Am A Rock which, oh, which when you hear that fact the first time I heard that I thought yes of course yeah. because there's something yeah. of a piece about them yeah there is yeah yeah, yeah absolutely um, and they, they both sound slightly apart some wonderful lines in it Oh, um, it's an longing, fabulous song. On a tour of one night stands, my suitcase and guitar in hand. And, and every stop, stop is neatly planned, planned for a poet and a one-man band. Gorgeous. And scans perfectly, which not all songs do. Like, it captures the thing perfectly. It scans perfectly. It puts the lyric and it captures an emotion. A really good piece of writing. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, completely. Well, he's extraordinarily good. I mean, I've I, I, I said this before. We'll say it again as we go through it or whatever. But, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's, uh, Paul Simon is a man of uh, rare rare gift and talent I mean songwriting you know talking melodically you're talking rhythmically you're talking lyrically uh, across the board mm. I mean they really he's, he's really got it all and is as good as anybody and I don't have the stats on this but I would say one of the songs most featured on film soundtracks in the yeah song, that's the what I mean canon, yeah I, just I, I, completely and in, in, in newspaper headlines and everything else I mean it's just so familiar it's so it's so it's complete in the same way yesterday is or you know, you just think how that's just absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Waterloo Sunset. You know, a lot of those yeah. those kind of songs are just boom. There you go. It's perfect. Um, it, it's it's a really. It's, there's a few versions of it. There's a live version which is on the greatest hits, which is also excellent. Um, I, I can I like both. Yeah. I don't have a particular sort of feeling. Yeah, it's but, a good record. Works both ways. And um, I've heard him play. I've heard him play. Well, both of them play. Homeward Bound, and the older they get, the more poignant yeah, it becomes true. because it sounds like you, you read the metaphor of it differently. You do because it becomes time instead of place. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, I really think that that's a nice know, way of putting it. Yeah. And that is then followed by the big bright green pleasure machine. <laughs> there are some stunning um, song titles on this album. Yeah. Um, that is one amongst them. Uh, not the song title you would expect. No, it's not. I mean, I think there's a, there's a fair bit of um, what we'll come to see in Paul Simon's solo career, beginning here in the sense of his, I I think he sounds like he's competing with you know in a pop and rock sense rather than folk. Yeah. And 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 sort of folk Bob Dylan. Now that that sound to me sounds much more like something that's competing with Satisfaction or yeah, yeah. Got to Get You Into My Life or like a Rolling Stone that kind of thing. Um, but this features. Yeah. on the soundtrack of The Graduate yeah it does so we will discuss it more I think I, at that yeah, juncture I completely agree yes definitely right. so then track 6 the final song on the first side is the 59th Bridge Street song Feeling Groovy absolutely love it yeah me too love it me too. Just, I mean, it's, it's just, a small piece of joy yeah it's an absolute piece of, yeah it is it's a voice about a minute and a half long yeah, something like that it's just it's um it, it it's a it's a ditty in the sense it's, a, it's quite like the Paul McCartney kind of yeah, White Album era sort of thing. I would you know to give it a, a comparison. They sing it so well. I mean it's it's you know the the two voices the way the two voices blend. I think it's a really Paul Simon. I really like Paul Simon's voice around this point. You know he's really focusing mm. on his on his singing and and 
not trying to sound, not trying to sing like a rock and roller, yeah. which his voice doesn't really lend itself to. He's, he's copying really more from, from art than mm. taking the lead from that. But they end up with a great tone, you know, between them. It's a beautiful song, I think. I mean, I know you can, you can, well, you can look at it and dismiss it, but I mean, I, I think the more experience you get in life, the less you dismiss things like that. But joy is every bit as valid as despair. Mm. Um, and, and, and to capture in, in a song or in a piece of art or in a, an expression it, in some ways is harder in most people who write songs or books will tell you that it's, you know, it's harder to express that and, and not be trite mm, absolutely you know. so yeah I, I absolutely think it's, think, it's, uh, think it's great and thinking of an old vinyl mm. a lovely note on which to have to lift the needle and turn the record yeah that's a really good point yeah Yes, it's like oh right, you finish on a high. Yeah, and and you've you've got quite a journey on that side. Yeah, if you think absolutely. about the songs that have gone through, you're right. You've taken me on some highs and some lows, but you're signing off on side one with Slow something. Down. That yeah, you're moving too fast. You got to make the morning last. Yeah, mm. yeah it's just beautiful. Loving that to Yeah, oh god, yeah, definitely. So then, consider the vinyl flipped. Yep. Needle on. Yep. We come to track seven, which is called the dangling. Conversation. Oh, you should name a podcast after that. That would be yes. Would be Someone great. should do that. Maybe they should do a chronology of Simon Garfunkel's records. Yeah, but they wouldn't want to be two chancellors, you know, two pros. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And their velveteen lounge gear. I, I've got a really complex relationship with this song actually, because uh, which is I, perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely, because uh, I, I didn't like it at all for years and years and years. Right. Um, I think because it's mellow easy just to listen just to no- noise mm. before you delve into it before you take a deep dive with it mm. um yeah. and always the thing i found notable about it is it, it mentions emily dickinson mm. and robert frost mm. and it always puts put me in mind of cemetery gates by the smiths True. when he mentions keats and yates are on my side on um, your side and wilders on yeah. mine and I, I, all i ever heard of it was songs that quote two poets in them and that was the thing Okay. Yeah, I can see why you would think that. Yeah, just a a, a a grab my brain did. Um, and it wasn't a particularly commercially successful record. Um, but I listened to it one day and I suddenly heard the lyrics properly. Mm. Um, it's a still life watercolor of a now late afternoon. Yeah. As the sun shines through the curtain lace and shadows wash wash the room, and I thought. Hang on, how many metaphors for like death and dying? Yeah, still life watercolor, Mm. so something's unmoving. Mm. And now late, Mm. late being in the afternoon or bed. Yeah, as sun shines through the curtain, I said it's bright outside, but shadows wash the room. And I was like, good grief, what a late afternoon! God, yeah. So it could be as in the late great, yeah, 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 yeah. And just this sense of wow. Okay, so in those few lines, you you've captured this whole relatively not unhappy, but empty to some degree place it's a still life watercolor there's no movement there's no life it's an image of a thing mm. not the thing itself mm. um yeah and it, it is the story of uh lovers who are no longer lovers um and who are both relatively intellectual and they've so stopped they've forgotten emotion they're too cold with each other aren't they're, they're too cold they're too, with each too, too intellectual which is how he how he not only tells the story but it's how he presents the, the story, story absolutely which he, itself is very very clever and he later was self-critical of it saying that he thought it sounded like a college student's attempt 
and I think he he does himself a disservice. Only the college student is Paul Simon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's lyrics from the conversation the couple are having later on. Mm. So, <laughs> and and we ask ourselves, can analysis be worthwhile? Is the theatre really dead? Yeah. <laughs> and it's this notion that you have these two intellectual New Yorkers discussing the things they think that matter and failing to see the demise and collapse of their relationship as it happens around them. And so it's this yeah. incredibly sad song um, that says live. Mm. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Fundamentally, it, does. it says live. And I'm if you're sure. listening on CD or, or Spotify or whatever, then it, then, then it comes after uh, Feeling Groovy, which is, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, uh, that, the variety there, I think it's only the Beatles could do something similar to that, that contrast. Mm. I think uh, it's very interesting what you said about it. I'm in agreement. I think that musically, it's really sophisticated and harmonically it's oh, very it's glorious. that little descend and then it goes with arpeggio goes back up um, and if you listen to that part and then you're here with the harmony and that sort of that that kind of out of time harmony that like to use your phrase out of time harmony that Garfunkel provides on the back of it I mean it's absolutely beautiful um, I really yeah I think it's a special song and a bit like yourself I I, I dismissed it. I think I first heard it on that Tales from New York. Yeah. Best of. Didn't really float my boat. Um, because I think it was a little bit too sophisticated for me. Yeah, and actually the sophistication um, deadens it to some degree in some of the other tracks because it's very... But it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the still shadowed room. Yeah. It, it's, Everything feeds the same absolutely. imagery, which it's is what, what it's, where it's absolute genius is, but you have to meet it at that place yeah. to get it. So it's like in uh, Shakespeare, it's like pathetic fallacy. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Isn't it? So, yeah. it's, so really, you've got a dead, dying, cold relationship, and it sounds like Cold that. and once removed. Yeah, yeah. right. So absolutely. when someone's upset, it's there's an a thunderstorm, and when they're happy, it's yeah. sunny, you know. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but I think it's fantastic. I urge everybody to listen to it, but put it on reasonably loud um, and, and, you know, and let it kind of take over. I think it's a great song. Yeah, absolutely. We mark our place with bookmarkers that yeah. we measure what we've lost. It's just yeah, beautiful. I mean completely. You could read it actually as a poem, or you could take the lyrics out and listen to it just as a piece of music with Dharma. I mean, it's, it's I think it's absolutely excellent. I, I'm I'm alright in thinking that they did. I, I know we don't do the singles or the singles chronology. I, I think that they they did, sounds of silence. I I am a rock, and they they had and or homeward bound. They had anyway. They had a few big hits. And then I've read art saying, and we sort of thought, right, okay, we can, you know, we've got that in the bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just, you know, develop it a bit. Mm-hmm. And they were pushing the envelope. Like most of these people we've mentioned were at that time. And they did that, and it just, it, it, it flopped, or, you know, and I think yeah. they, they disowned it slightly after that. They did, because they both said on the release of the album that it was their favourite track, independently yeah. of one another. And right, the okay. sense have not said that, which is right. interesting. Yeah, it is. is what you say in terms of lyric and music and harmony all There's the things they both love doing absolutely is in excelsis in this yeah, and they, but they now dismiss it slightly which is a real show I'd love to hear Art sing it now oh yeah oh god yeah wouldn't that be great yeah yeah that would that would be absolutely absolutely fantastic yeah it would you're absolutely right because he's now the per- well he's not the person in it but he has the age of the people in yeah it. and his voice now is, it's got that kind of it's, it's not smokiness it's, it's like a almost like a sort of creaminess almost like like a knife through warm butter sort yeah. of sound that would really lend itself. And the band that he's got with the tablet and just doing the, the guitar, God, yeah, that'd be fantastic. 
Um, and that's followed by Flowers, Never Bend in the Rainfall. Yeah, this is 60s pop. 60s pop. Done well. It's fine. It's great. Yeah, it like comes it. after one of my favourite songs in the canon, so yeah. it is always a bit of a letdown to me. You're right. It's again. It goes on the on the B list. It's with, you know, what else have we put on there? Patterns or yeah, cloudy. I cloudy. Yeah, fine. Yeah, it did definitely. It's that. It's it's good. I enjoy it. It's um. Yeah, actually, no. Yeah, the performance of it is really good. It's it's quite joyful. If it comes on, I enjoy it. But I don't necessarily. You know, it's not my first choice for playlists or. It is followed by what must be one of the best known songs or one of the most um, interestingly amusingly known songs in popular music which is A Simple Desultory Philippic or How I Got Robert McNamara Into Submission <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean it's, yeah it's, every time it's a hell of a title and it's a hell of a song I've been Roy Halley aunt and uncled no, no, I've been out and not. Oh no, Roy Halley, Mark Garfunkel. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's clever. It's a basically a, a piss take of Bob Dylan. Yeah. In, in a nutshell, isn't it? And it is. done in nineteen sixty six while he was absolutely height of his powers. I kind of admire the. You could you could argue it's a bit catty, but I, I quite I admire the you know the chutzpah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I think as well. My my take on it is anyway the Paul Simon sort of. Bob Dylan came along and he was mysterious, he was sort of, you know, man from nowhere, Bob Dylan, whatever. And they then, um, and, you know, it was the, the, the epitome of cool, epitome. 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 <laughs> Cut. Epitome of cool. And, but he's actually Robert Zimmerman, he was actually from Nigeria, wherever he's yeah. from, you know, and, it, and, and I think there was an element of fakery that Paul Simon saw in that. Um, he's quite sharp on that kind of thing anyway. Um, and so to me it reads like a, a takedown of the cool kids now you can do that one or two ways you can either think well that's because he feels like he's outside of the gang probably and probably felt like that but he makes a really good job of it I think if John Lennon had written the song it would be regarded as being absolutely that yeah. people don't quite want especially at this point I don't think they quite want Paul Simon to do that they don't want that from him I think if you'd said if you put this on Lennon especially Lennon's solo album it would be oh it's absolutely amazing yeah. very very funny very sharp and pastiche as a, as a, as a, as a sort of a, uh, a mic take yeah I'd drop my harmonica Albert you know Everybody must get stoned, you know, and all that sort of little ticks that he does in it. I don't hear art in it really at all. I think it's a Paul Simon, yeah, Roy Harley thing, and um, yeah, so it's a good song. Yeah, it's a, it it's, it's it a good song. It's um, interestingly titled. It's an interesting song. I agree with you. It's a takedown, and I'm. I think it's kind of what Bob Dylan needs sometimes. Yeah, yeah, very stuffy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think I think um, what what I would say about yeah, I think it's a good point. What I'd say about Paul Simon, as opposed to some of his other contemporaries, is he never sounds to me like he's throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks. And sometimes, you know, he's very precise in what he's writing. And if he, like we've just been describing, it must be it must be exhausting to do that. It must take an awful lot of work. Mm -hmm. And I do think sometimes certain others. I'm not trying to pick on Bob Dylan because he's he's amazing. But sometimes you listen to Bob Dylan and you think, right, well that. They're just words. It's a famous rhyme, story. You know. um, Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan. Okay. Uh, uh, 
Bob Dylan's giving Leonard Cohen a lift. Brilliant. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. It yeah. sounds like a, a terrible joke, but this is a true story. Yeah. And they're talking, and so they're talking about recent releases, and I forget exactly which track it was from Bob Dylan. Right. Leonard Cohen's just released Alleluia. Wow. He's been working on it for five and a half years yeah. in various different formats. Time well spent. Time well spent, indeed. And if you haven't, I urge you to mm. listen to the Malcolm Gladwell podcast right. about that song yeah. and its history. Hallelujah, it's amazing. Um, anyway, <laughs> Leonard Cohen says to Bob Dylan about his most recent release, well, how long did it take you to write? Mm. Bob Dylan goes, oh, about 15 minutes. And Leonard Cohen feels, and this is Leonard Cohen, yeah. feels so uncomfortable and embarrassed when asked by Bob Dylan in the immediate aftermath, well, how long did Hallelujah take? Yeah. That he fudges it and says a couple of years. This right. is a song he's been working on and working on. And if you read its various iterations, it has so much biblical imagery and it's perfect and it's yeah. accurate and yeah. it, it has care and attention. Mm. And he is embarrassed mm. by that in the face of Bob Dylan. Leonard Cohen is embarrassed mm. by that in the face of Bob Dylan. And so it, it plays well, exactly to perfect, what no, no, it does. It's absolutely perfect. It's interesting, actually. And it's a perfect, uh, perfect example of what I mean. So I could then understand why Paul Simon or Leonard Cohen would sometimes be a bit like, well, oh, hang on a minute, people, are, people are doing the work for you, they're reading things into this that were yeah, never you're just there. knocking out a track. Yeah, that were never there, yeah. and you're using, you know, your sort of flowery language, but it's not, you know, um, I, 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 I feel, I don't want to make it sound as if we're just critiquing Bob Dylan's entire career there, by the way, I'm just we're specifically talking about that part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is a man who didn't turn up to receive his own Nobel Prize, I think we can safely say, yeah, that he has the occasional, yeah, bout of uh, absolutely self love. Absolutely, yeah. I don't think that's no, no, no um, and that's then followed by one of uh, my favourite songs, <laughs> again another of my favourite songs, um, for Emily, uh, whenever I may find her, um, which is just the most astonishing record. And as a side note, features one of only two instances of the mm. use of the word crinoline. Right. In popular music, Crinoline's okay. a fabric. And the other use is in um, a song called Berkeley Girl, written by a chap called wow. Harper Simon. Yeah. Um, and incidentally, Harper <laughs> Simon is the son of Paul Simon. And Paul Simon sings backing vocals for Harper on the track Berkeley Girl. So oh, go it? listen to it. And you can hear Paul Simon behind yeah, it. It's a great It's a song. wonderful record. Great and it, it, it speaks to a kind of 60s L.A., um, it mentions Carmen Gears, which are a particular type of car that were massive then, um, and Silver Lake and all this lovely LA imagery. So, and we very... said in Cloudy, didn't we, from Berkeley to Carmen? Yeah, yeah, and it has lots of what you would like about Simon and Garfunkel or Paul Simon's writing, but it has um, a West Coast vibe mm. rather than a more New York East Coast vibe. The well put, yeah, it's um, a great song. Uh, in terms of For Emily itself, <clears throat> as much as it pains me to say we'll keep it for later there is a live version yeah there is yeah and Art Garfunkel singing the live version oh, for Emily yeah. is yeah, one of the high points of popular culture yeah it is yeah, well yeah I, agree. I mean, it really is no, <laughs> so yeah. you know go listen to it now and then when we talk about it in the future yeah. no yeah thank us yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> um, and then we're coming towards the end of the record now, and track 11 of 12 is A Poem on the Underground Wall. Uh, a Poem on the Underground Wall, I would say, is the character from The Sound of Silence. And the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls. Yep, I think that guy has got up out of his bathroom and gone out yep. into the city, into the night. And that's the poem on the underground wall. Um, 
it's a really good song. I mean, I've heard they, they do live versions. Art takes a lot more ownership of it than Paul. I don't know if Paul Simon performs it or has performed it. I know Art no, performs it extensively, and I've seen him do it. I'm happy to say, I think it's fantastic. But yeah, what I would say is, it's the guy from Sounds of Silence. He's put down the guitar, picks up, you know, a pen, spray paint, whatever graffiti paint smoked a spliff and gone out into the town into the city yeah good record yeah really good record and then the final track seven o'clock news slash silent night yeah so this is a piece of art in the same way uh dangling conversation is or scarborough fair is i mean there's some really high high art on this um maybe that's not the best choice of words but you know what i mean i was just thinking the number of times you said hi to art <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, good friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good friends. Um, so what uh, the, the the juxtaposition in that? So it's them beautifully singing a Christmas carol, and it gradually they fade in um, a, a, a newscast that wasn't. I don't know if it was an actual newscast. They, I know they had a, a well-known New York DJ come in and read it. You know, I don't know whether it was. They put together that weeks or something, but it yeah. was, it's essentially it's a of the time newscast, and it references um, Richard Speck, who was a serial killer. It references the Vietnam War, Nixon, who at that point hasn't been elected, so sixty six. He doesn't get elected till sixty eight, and it's a, a a damning indictment of him actually, in it, in in, in what it says um, about the single greatest thing working against the American people is his opposition to the war. In Vietnam, um, it's just very, very powerful, and I think it's a great example of how music or popular music can be something more than you know mm. a record to put on, on Saturday night or froth. It can really, really be powerful. And I think if you listen to it, and it in its time, but quite frankly, any time, mm. it's very, very, very clever and, and and affecting. I find it quite emotional. It is know. very much so, mm. and yeah, Silent Night with its imagery of calm communities waiting for a day of <clears throat> communal celebration and religious fervour mm. juxtaposed with news that comes at you of serial killers and rapists and murder and war mm. and how mm. that affects us yeah man's inhumanity to man and it's, yeah. It, yeah absolutely and you can't avoid that much as you want to keep listening to the sweet voices singing the Christmas carol to you they they gradually they don't disappear they don't fade that down but they fade up the the, the, the thing so, so, you, so it's battling for your attention I think it's a really relevant song for now because I think that the the way the, um, the internet, social media, um, all all these different things, you know, podcasts and so on, the things battling for attention. Yeah. To the point where it's completely overwhelming. I think it's ahead of its time in that regard. And it's also something about growing up in there. Yeah. The innocence of childhood, thinking about Christmas and so on and so oh, forth. God, yeah. All sort of information. Of you grow up. Of course it is. Which is. Yeah, a really interesting never, interplay. It is. I've not even considered that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it, it is a, it's a track that I think is. I, I, I personally find it quite hard to listen to, because yeah. in a way, I just want to uh, live in the childish element of it and hear them sing Silent Night to yeah, me. Yeah, certainly. Not yeah, right, like, yeah, come on, just let me, just leave that. I mean, I, yeah, powerful I mean, because of that. No, you're right. I mean, yeah, I used to. I think a lot of this, um, the drug that was around, marijuana and or weed, whatever, but if you listen to these songs and if you happen to listen to them in that state in that altered state then they're extraordinarily intense mm. you know 
Um, and I think that uh, you know of, of that time, I can well imagine that people were, were listening to it, or people in Vietnam listening to it, yeah. and LSD and stuff like that. I mean, it's profound. You know, mm-hmm. it's really it's a really powerful thing that we're talking about. It's not just some background noise. No, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's really powerful stuff, especially you know when you're talking about things like that. It's you know very very powerful, so, and, and it's a, an intense way. To, to finish the album much contrasted to the end of side one yeah ex- well this is exactly the thing isn't it um, but I think in the album we've journeyed from you know the 1600s through to you know the the, the, right, the modern at the time the latest modern things with name checking Mick Jagger and yeah, yeah, you know absolutely. the Beatles and, 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 and all that and, and everything in between it's really it's breadth it's, it's fantastic it's a terrific terrific album it with is. some moments of Utter transcendence. Yeah. On it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, mm. that brings us to the end of Parsley Sage Rosemary and Time, end of the third Simon and Garfunkel release. Yeah. And the next will come. The next will well, what will happen is we'll we'll, we'll have the the graduate and the graduate soundtrack. Um, we have yet to decide whether we will discuss the live in '67 album as it was recorded because of course it wasn't released until much later but we'll we'll think on that um, and then the graduate soundtrack and then and then bookends <laughs> which is um, another astonishing piece of work so join us next time when we will have decided what we're going to discuss <laughs> and we'll go forth and discuss it thank you so much for your time